sin. It is not an easy topic, is it, as we think about it for ourselves. The context that we are coming to this passage with this week is the context of the studies that we have been doing together as a church in the book of Malachi. We have looked there at how people have sinned against their God. We have seen how people have failed to worship God, and we have acknowledged that for ourselves, so often our worship of God is not what it should be. We have seen in that book how people have not brought their tithes and their offerings to God. And we may have felt guilty in some of the things that we feel we withhold from God. And we have seen in that book how people turned aside from the relationships that God had given them and thought for ourselves about the pain in broken relationships that we suffer. There is a more immediate context to this psalm as well, which is the context of the life and reign of King David. He's one of the Old Testament people we are probably most familiar with. But this psalm comes out of a particular period in his life, a period when he had committed adultery with Bathsheba, when she had become pregnant by him, and in a vain attempt to try and cover that up, he gets her husband killed. It is murder. David is guilty of that. If David had been sitting on a stool and Tom had been honest with David this morning... Tom would have said much harsher things of David than in his graciousness Tom said of me. David was a liar, a cheat, an adulterer and a murderer. And yet, David is a man who God looks at and says, you are a man after my own heart. How can that be? How can David be on this side so black and on this side so white? How can that be? Well, the truth is, no sin is too great to bring before God. Whatever you are thinking in your heads right now as the greatest act of disobedience you have ever committed, as the greatest pain that you have ever committed against another person, none of it is too big to bring before God. But the question is, how do we do it? And actually, what happens when we do it? And that is what I think these first 12 verses of Psalm 51 are going to help us to understand as we look at them. We're going to be looking at them in order. So if you've got your Bibles in front of you, it would be great to have them open on the right page so that we can just study it verse by verse, thought by thought, as it leads through. The first thing that we have to do 
as we come before God, is to make a request of him. We come to him from verse 1, and we ask for mercy. We ask that we will not be treated as our sins deserve. In the States, we still have, they still have, the death penalty. I cannot imagine quite how it feels to work in that system, but I have been watching recently a great film all about it. It's called Dead Man Walking, and it's got Susan Sheridan and Sean Penn in it. It is a great film. It's talking about how one man is guilty of murder, and he is not sorry for what he has done, and he is given the death penalty. The film is all about seeking mercy for that one man by having his sentence commuted from the death penalty to life imprisonment. Mercy is that. It is not giving us what the law says our sins actually deserve. On what basis does God demonstrate or offer that mercy to us? How can we ask him for it? Well, in Malachi, as we know, because we looked at it last week, it says, I, the Lord, do not change. God is the same God now as he was then. He is the same God today as he was when he was David's God. God is a merciful God. He loves to treat us not as our sins deserve. He loves to look at us differently from that. It's his character. It's his history. It's his generosity. It's his love. It's everything about who this great God of the universe is. In the message version, verse 1 says, God is generous in love. He's huge in mercy. More than we can possibly imagine. He is bigger than that. But it's not just mercy that we ask for. As we bring our requests to God, we ask for mercy. Don't treat us as our sins deserve. But we also ask for grace. Grace is abundant kindness to us. In the context of the film that I've just been talking about, that grace would then look like not just commuting a sentence from death to life in prison, but it would be the outrageous act of commuting that death sentence from death to freedom. It would be absolutely outrageous. It would not be fair. It would actually in itself be against the law to set somebody free when they are guilty 
of committing a crime. But God's grace wants to do that for us. The Bible says that we have all sinned, as Tom was talking about earlier on, that we are all guilty before God and that there is one penalty that is due to us because of that. But when we ask for grace, God, in his amazing and outrageous kindness towards us, does not treat us as our sins deserve. He comes to us and he offers us help. It says in Malachi, return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. Whatever we have done, our first step has to be to come back to God. Just to come to him and to say, Lord, please, please, please take me back. Please come back to me. Please forgive me for all that I have done that has offended you. Asking in that way is the first step towards our repentance. Repentance is what verses 3 to 6 in this psalm are about. In verse 3, For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Acknowledging our sin as we come to God. Tom said, I exaggerate sometimes. The real word for exaggeration, which is actually used in the passage that he said, that he mentioned, is lying. Sometimes I make myself seem better in other people's eyes by telling lies. I don't like that about myself, but I know I do it. Sometimes I am envious of what others have. I go into certain homes and I turn green. I like what other people have and I am envious of it. Or jealous of it. And I don't like that about myself either. And I wish I could stand before you this morning and say... I am none of those things. I am none of that list. But it wouldn't be true. The only thing that gives me comfort is that as I look at you, it's not true for you either. Acknowledge your sin. It means at the end of each day, naming your sin for what it is. It means consciously inviting God to look at your life and to say, as the message says, I know how bad I've been. I know all the things that I have done. And asking God to change it. Maybe we need to ask God to give us better memories to help us to really understand the actions that we do, the words that we say each day, which are words that are so not pleasing to him. 
or it might be thoughts. What do we think about that nobody else knows but that we do? That we think about that is actually just as hateful, just as wrong in God's eyes. Let's acknowledge our sin. As we repent, let's also accept our guilt. Verse 4, against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. You're right when you speak and you're justified when you judge. You've seen the full extent of my evil. We are guilty before God even if others don't know anything about it. David was a bright chap. David enjoyed his sin with Bathsheba, I would suggest. David didn't want other people to know about it. So David tried to get Bathsheba's husband, Uriah, to sleep with Bathsheba so that her pregnancy could be just kind of carried off. He would know it was his baby, but as long as the rest of his country didn't know that, he would kind of be okay. It's not okay. I would hate you to know some of the things that I think about. I would hate my sons to know the full extent of the evil that is possible in my heart. I would hate Dave to know some of those things. But God does. God saw David in his action and God saw the full extent of his sin. And it's not just the being found out that makes us guilty. It's actually who we are. It's something that we cannot change. Verses 3 to 6 talk about the predicament that we are in. From birth, we are guilty of sin. I've been out of step with you for a long time, in the wrong since before I was born. Or as we read earlier, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I have a member in my family who is very upright. I have never heard her swear in any way, shape or form. I have never seen her publicly commit any sin at all. But she was in labour and she had gas and air. And her mind was not quite as controlled as it normally is. I wasn't there, but I really laughed when I heard about it. Apparently, it was shocking. 
The language that she used before her children were born was absolutely quite extraordinary. And my family member who was present was shocked. Absolutely shocked. Who we are when nobody else is looking, who we are from the time that we first learned to speak till the time that we die is a person of sin. It is the human predicament that this psalm talks about. Those of us who have had the privilege of being parents never need to be told about the concept of original sin. Do we ever teach a child to fight and steal and bully? Do we ever teach a child to be hateful, to be spiteful, to be cruel to another child? No, they just do it. And they do it no matter how good the parents are. Do any of us take a gracious life that has been lived, that gets to old age and becomes cranky? Do do any of us ever invite that? But there are a lot of old people who get there. And I will be old one day, perhaps. I might get there too. What will I be like then? Because it's in those moments when perhaps we aren't in full control that we realise the full extent about what this psalm is talking about. We are sinners and that's all of us. And if this talk were to end now, it would be one of the most tragic talks that we could ever have listened to. But it doesn't. Verses 7 to 12 of the psalm that we are looking at speaks about restoration. In verse 7, it says, Cleanse me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. It's like one of those awful adverts for detergent. You know, they have a dirty, dirty shirt and it's completely covered in mess and they dip it in a bucket and miraculously it comes out perfectly clean. We do know, don't we, that those adverts aren't true. We do know that. But in this case, it's true. Hyssop is just an example of a cleansing agent. It was used in the Passover feast as a herb to make the meat taste good. It has cleansing or cleaning properties to it. Well, for us, there is one cleansing agent. If we call on God and if we ask God to forgive us, he does. He does it because of Jesus. In Hebrews, it says, he died to cleanse us from the stain of sin. He died to change us completely. Only Jesus can do it. You can be the most religious person who has ever walked this planet, 
But if you don't call on Jesus and ask him to forgive you, then you are just as lost as the person who has never considered God in their whole lives. There is only one way, one way to be restored to God. And that is when we acknowledge who Jesus is, when we acknowledge what Jesus has done. We have to apply his means of forgiveness on the cross of Calvary to ourselves. We have to come before his cross and say, Lord God, I am not enough. I cannot change myself. I need you. We have to appeal directly to God too that he might do this on our behalf. I'm so glad I wasn't born even a few hundred years ago in the time when people did not have scripture to read for themselves, in the time when for so many people their only experience of God was what happened in a church building or in some kind of sanctuary on a Sunday, where everything was mediated before a priest who stood between them and God. For us, we have a high priest of our own who stands before God and intercedes on our behalf. Therefore, we can talk directly to him. It says in Hebrews chapter 4, we have a great high priest who has gone to heaven, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us cling to him and never stop trusting him. We will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it. We can come and we can talk directly to God so that his restoration can come directly from him back to ourselves. And if we are to be restored, then we also have to approve of his course of action. I think this is the hardest bit. Have you ever been in a situation when you have been really sorry for something, but when you have said sorry, you have known in your heart that actually you don't really want to change. I do that sometimes with Tom and Sam. I say, one of the things that Tom didn't speak about, but he could have, sometimes I get really cross with Sam and Tom. They do something which just gets on my wick and I'm really cross with them. And I'm really over the top in the being cross. It's way beyond what they have actually said or done. And I say to them, oh, I'm really sorry. I'm really sorry. I, I really shouldn't have said that. I'm really sorry. But I'm actually really sorry that I've let myself down. 
sometimes I'm not so sorry that I have actually hurt them in the doing of it. Does that make sense? I am sorry for a little while, maybe, until they do it again, and I have exactly the same reaction. Sin is like that. Sin means that when we approve of God's course, we have to say, God, I am so sorry that I am asking you now to transform me completely. Give me a new heart, a pure heart, a heart that no longer wants to do anything that is evil. Change me from the inside out. Sometimes that will mean things like not spending time with certain people who we really enjoy spending time with because their influence on us isn't good. And we can't say, Lord God, I'm really sorry I did X, Y, Z when I was with those people. Help me to be strong. Let me carry on enjoying those relationships, but just help me to be strong. Approving of God's course of action sometimes means letting go of the things we really like. Letting go of those bits of us that we enjoy. That's what a change of heart is all about. It's inner transformation. It's asking God to give us a new spirit, a steadfast spirit that enables us to live before God in his presence with the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. When we ask God's Holy Spirit to live inside us, we can't just say, Lord God, here's my heart. You can live in this bit. It has to be, here's my heart. You can have it all. Your spirit can take up complete residence. You can search me in my mind. You can search me in my thoughts. You can search every part of me. And you can transform me. Approve of the transformation that comes. The pricking of our conscience. Some of us, have been Christians for a really long time. When we started being Christians, I am sure that there were some things that were really obvious about us and the way that we failed to please God. And so we stopped them. But as we get older, we become more, not less, aware of sins in us. Our thought life plagues us so much more as we get older than it ever did, or at least as far as I remember when I was a child. Things that once might have seemed small become big. God's spirit in us is what does that. He changes us and he makes us steadfast against sin if we ask him to, if we approve of his course 
of action in us. And he gives us a new or restored joy. When was the last time you were with a brand new baby Christian? Somebody who accepts Jesus Christ and their face is radiant and they are just so transformed because they have met somebody who loves them more than they have been loved before because they have that opportunity of a new relationship which thrills them and which they want to tell everybody about. We spend too much of our time with jaded Christians, those of us who take God almost for granted, those of us who are aware of our sin and confess our sin, but who aren't joyful in the salvation that we have because we allow everything else in the world to overtake us. We, are, we allow ourselves to be so caught up in life that we just aren't able to experience this joy anymore. God's course of action is to restore that joy, that we might stand before him as people who are thrilled to have him in our lives. People who are thrilled even when it's hard. People who are thrilled even when the thing we most want to do is to say yes to a sin we choose to say no to. People who are full of the joy of our salvation. That is what this psalm is all about. David knew his God. That's why he was able to say all of these things and at the end to simply say, Lord God, I come to you. Take me as I am because that is enough with your help. And that's how we come to God too. We don't have any merit of our own. We are the same people as we end the psalm, as we were at the beginning of it. We are the same people as we go to bed at night, as we are when we get up in the morning. But each day, we have the chance to ask for God's forgiveness anew, to ask him to transform us, to ask him to lead us on. We are going to have a couple of minutes just to think about that for ourselves as we are sung to, which I'm really looking forward to. So thank you very much for leading us. We will think quietly as this happens, and then John will come and lead us in some prayers of intercession before we stand to sing together. <laughs>